Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. It's the work of a lifetime. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. I'm not reading anything. What do I need to know? With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. The world is full of people who need appendectomies. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. You don't have to have a good time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Amy. And this is Margaret. And Amy, we're looking back. Is that Mr. Cotter? You're repurposing Mr. Cotter? Uh, Welcome back, Cotter. Yeah. Back in my day. I kind of uh, didn't know where I was going with that. I thought you might let me sail, but you called me out on it, which is fine. That's what you're here to do, Amy. Call me out on things. You know, I wasn't calling you out. I just was clarifying the old deluxe alert in particular that we were referring to. I started singing and I thought something would be there and then I kind of had nothing. But anyway, we are looking back. It's our year in review, Amy. We're looking back at the highs, the lows, the good, the bads, the happies, the sads. We're going to talk about some of our favorite episodes in the last year. And if you look in the show notes, wherever you're listening right now, there's a link to a Spotify playlist. So they're all in one place. Love it. I cannot believe this year's over. Can we just take a moment for my old deluxe need to be like, where did the year go, Amy? You know, I was just saying, I got my hair cut yesterday and I was talking to the woman who cuts my hair about 2020 was slow. 2020 was the slowest year ever. And 2021 is was impossibly fast. I was recently trying to write something down and I wrote 2020 and I said, well, it's the beginning of the year. Uh, I'm still not used to it. And then I realized it was November. Like it really just was a year, the year that wasn't. Yes, it was. Looking back on January 2021, it's hard to even remember now that we were still in high pandemic. January, at least in the New York City area, was when people had a holiday break and then they're like, you know what, just don't send them back. Just keep them home for two weeks. You know what, make it three weeks. Remember, it was the holiday break that... Oh, I don't think we did that. Much like having small children, I believe my mind protects itself (laughs) by just dumping all of this information out. I'm like, home with the kids? I guess I was for nine months, but I don't really remember it. I was seven centimeters and then I was 10 centimeters and then the baby was born. I don't really remember. It's amazing. Then there was a baby. It was really... No problem at all. Yeah. What I remember from the beginning of the year for myself outside of the podcast was my dad is in his 80s and like 
I spent a lot of January and Amy, I believe you were even worse than me, like monitoring the vaccine sites and like refreshing and trying to figure out my dad at some point, he lives down in Florida, ended up like on a lawn chair at 3 a.m., like sleeping in a parking lot with a bunch of other older folk in a line. And finally, he was in his little lawn chair from 3 to 4 a.m. And at 4 a.m., someone said, there's 1,500 people in line and 600 shots, so you might as well go home. Like, they stopped people after 600. And and then it was kind of the thing where you got kind of really into that world of, like, vaccine. And then 10 days later, it was totally fine. And there were a million appointments. And that's kind of a funny thing to look back on. Or like four months later. But yeah, yeah, I eventually had to make peace with that. I was just going to keep doing it because I was almost enjoying it in a crazy twisted way to try to find that elusive golden ticket of an appointment. And the people who I was getting it for were like, we're good. We'll just wait until we can drive 10 minutes and get it. We're not going to show up at Yankee Stadium on a Tuesday. I'm like, but you could though. Yeah, you and my niece. My niece at some point made my brother an appointment with this. Like, she's like, you just have to hop in the car. It's an hour and 45 minute drive. And he's like, I think I'm going to wait a week. And he did. He was able to get it closer to home. But yeah, we started the year very much still in that mode. My kids went back full time after spring break. So they didn't return to school full time until April. In May, I went to a 250 person post vaccinated VE day. It's all over and good times ahead. Roaring 20s wedding in which we were all kind of cautiously like removing our masks. But then we were like drinking and dancing and doing the whole wedding thing. Well, look, we're still I mean, I was at a November wedding with 200 people at it and drinking and dancing and having a good time and feeling like, is this okay? It seems like it might be okay. But I do remember, yes, in the spring being like, are we done? No, we weren't done. Yeah. See, I feel like the, now I go to stuff and I just am kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, we'll see. But in May, that wedding, May and June, we were like, my girl wants to party all the time. We were free. We were done. I thought we were done. Back in my day. Speaking of free, coming in with the Old Deluxe Alert, that's the Eddie Murphy top 40 single, I believe. My girl wants to. My girl wants to party all the time. Parenthesis party all the time. I mean, it's one of those really long titles that's all in parentheses. Correct. Guys, I'm sorry. You don't know what we're talking about. That's what it was. But we were, we were getting our Eddie Murphy on. Then a lot of the rest of the year has been kind of this netherworld of... Are we done? I guess we're not. It was more confusing in some ways when the beginning, when there were clear rules and it was like, okay, you're doing this, not that. It was this weird. And we did end up talking about that on several episodes. Like, when can we start saying yes again? Right. It's what we wanted to talk about. And judging from what you guys said in response, it's what you wanted to talk about, too. We're still getting a lot of listener feedback on the Why Does Everything Feel Hard Right Now episode from, I think that was a month or two ago, mm-hmm. that it's just like, but this should be easier about the being secretly glad. I talked about going to a wedding in the Bahamas that was coming up, and I just was sort of like, oh, I guess, because I can go, but do I even want to do that stuff anymore? Do I really want to leave the house anymore, or am I just good? In the end, we did not go to that wedding, and I was sort of like, yeah, I kind of thought that's what would happen. And it, it's just a, a weird time to be in that I think... Judging by what people are saying in response, like, yeah, they do kind of want to hear us talk about it because it's what's happening in their lives, too, first and foremost. 
For sure. I remember actually feeling like so depressed when we <laughs> recorded that episode. And I feel like a couple of people on the Facebook page were like, uh, Margaret, are you doing okay? And I really wasn't doing great. When we started opening back up in September, we're just coming back. But with all the anxiety still, I felt so defeated. I just felt like I don't want to be this busy and still in a pandemic. I want one or the other. I want, if I'm going to be in a pandemic, I want to at least be in my jammies watching Netflix and eating stew with my family. I don't want to be doing both of these things. I've gotten my feet under me a little bit. I'm back to doing stuff, but I do still find it harder. I'm definitely feeling less absolutely defeated by the idea of having to do things. We're deconditioned. It's going to take some time. They say something like it takes nine months to put the baby weight on. And so, you know, give yourself grace for nine months. It's going to take a long time for it to come back off. And I don't mean that to sound judgy, like you need to lose it within nine months or you need to lose your baby weight at all. I don't know. But it's just give yourself time. Spoiler alert. Some of us lose it never and live entirely happy lives. Just throwing that out there. That's right. The only other time I've gotten sort of grace around that message of you're getting too much weight or shouldn't you have lost that weight by now is it takes a long time to put it on. It'll take a long time to come off. Similarly, the pandemic it's going to roll off very slowly. It's not going to shut off clearly or it would have by now. Yeah. We think with so many things that there's a door that we're going to walk through to freedom or there's going to be the VE day party in Times Square with the nurse and the sailor and it's going to be amazing and freeing. And we're just never going to get that experience. It's just going to be this kind of strange. I heard somebody describe it as the hammer and the dance, like you dance out and then the hammer comes down. Oh, yeah. I'll put the link in the show notes because, yeah, he predicted that in March 2020. He said the hammer was going to be when we all stayed home for two, three weeks. And then it was we were going to dance out and then have to go back in. And the whole point of that article was the hammer was a month and the dance was going to be a long, long time, much longer than we realized. I mean, he was 100 percent right. Yeah. And I mean, I have a kid right now home in quarantine, which I really am surprised by. And the thing is, the structures around that from the school are much weaker, you know, so I'm sort of like, well, mm -hmm. are you zooming in? He's like, well, they're not really doing that anymore. And we're having to email teachers. And I'm sure they're quite annoyed to be hearing from me like, oh, on top of everything you're doing, could you also homeschool my kid? You know, they don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. And it, it's kind of like the balloon is so saggy right now in terms of like, I don't know. We're just not really, you know, it's just everybody's just kind of like, <laughs> but not here, but not on the What Fresh Shell podcast. Not here. No, we're jolly as heck around here, guys. I think we should take a break when we come back. Let's talk about some of our favorite, funniest, silliest episodes from the last year. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... 
Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, here's my pick for funniest episode of 2021. Oh, I wonder if we have the same one. I have one too. Mine is It's the Little Things. Oh, that's not mine, but I did like that one a lot. People sent in just like the stupidest little stuff, like why do I never remember to put the stamp on the envelope before I put it in the mailbox? Like little things that truly trip us up. I am still laughing about the instructions they send home from the doctor's office that are all like, you know, photocopied horribly and barely legible. And then on the somewhere buried on page four was the one thing you were really supposed to be mindful of that you weren't like, don't let it get wet for 48 hours. Well, and it's funny because after we recorded that episode, you had talked about that exact thing. And then my son had an emergency appendectomy right. a couple months ago. And the doctor said, any questions? And I said, what is in the documents that I actually need to know? Because I'm not going to read them. <gasps> and it, you really helped me. Good. And the basic thing was don't submerge in water. That was the headline. I was probably on page six of the, you know, instructions and I might have missed it, but you really helped me because I just said to the doc, listen, I'm not reading anything. What do I need to know? I got a notebook. I got a pen. I'm writing it down. And uh, they still handed me the 86 mimeograph pages. What is an appendectomy? Yeah. No, don't need to know that. Thank you. Although I did get very into appendectomy facts. Do you know how many people need an appendectomy in the United States? Every year? Yeah, like one in how many Americans have an appendectomy? Oh, we'll need it in their lifetimes? Yes. 20, one in 20? One in 1,000. Very rare. What? Yeah, it's very, very rare. See that? Yeah, one in 1,000 Americans. I know a grown-up who just had to get an emergency appendectomy like on Thanksgiving Day. And between that and your son, I was like, the world is full of people who need appendectomies. But see? We know that person in common because I saw them on Facebook and I said, oh, an appendectomy. Yeah. Because right. you probably know several people who've had them, but you know several thousand people. You know, it's just much rarer than I thought. See that? Science. My favorite episode was, okay, we annoy ourselves also. <laughs> Although I'm slightly ruining the fact that we did not call that episode, okay, I'm the monster, because that's really what it was about. It was about... Because we've done What Kind of Monster and talked about the crimes that everyone commits in our lives, 
in this episode, we turned the focus on ourselves and admitted that we were, in fact, the monsters and that we do terrible things. I forget what I do that I know myself also. I sing in harmony to songs on the radio. Did I say that? Oh, we talked about that. It is so unforgivable because my husband commits that crime. And my husband is from a family of singers. I have many singers in my own family. And I was just recently singing along to something on the radio and my kids begged me to stop and told me how annoying I was. And I was thinking to myself, I have such a pleasing voice and I sing this song so well. Like I really was not able to step outside myself and realize how annoyed I am by anyone else's singing. Singing along. Yeah. Why is your own singing so pleasing to you and so horrifying for others? There's some, I have a friend on Facebook who's an opera singer and a scientist, like a really interesting nexus. And she just published some article about how you actually physically can't hear your own voice when you sing. Like you can kind of hear it, but I can't hear my voice like you can hear my harmonizing. And that's why it probably sounds better in your own head. You're overly optimistic. Ugh, when I'm singing in the shower, I'm like, I miss my calling. I should have been a major <laughs> pop star. Like, I am amazing. I'm so much better than Dua Lipa. So that was your favorite episode or your funniest episode or both? Funniest episode. It was your funniest episode. Okay. All right. Loved it. I see that. Let's talk about episodes, Amy, where we learned the most. All right. I really liked A Room of Our Own. <gasps> it's on my list. That episode was... Yeah. Is that on your list? That was a game changer for me. We just talked about... Women having their own spaces. And it really, it, I not only learned the most from it, but it changed my life. I used to have a recording studio. I can't even describe the layout of our house other than to say my house was built by an insane person and it is bonkers. And it's a little Willy Wonka, right? It's like door goes there. It's like a chalet. It's triangular. So there's one large wall and then the roof slopes on a direct triangle. What is that? An isosceles triangle, Amy? It's like a... Oh my God, I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) Yes, sure it is. It's not equilateral. It's a giant triangle. Mm Mm-hmm. So picture like a ski chalet, but it's a triangular house. And so there's a bunch, the bottom of the triangle and the top of the triangle end up in these little crazy triangular shaped rooms. And so my recording studio used to be the bottom of the triangle and it was off the heat grid. So I had to always have a heater going. But then when we're recording... You can hear it, right. The heater makes too much noise, so I would turn it off. So basically, by the end of recording, my teeth would be chattering in the winter. And then when we put the hot tub in, it became the like changing room. The hot tub is right outside of that room. The room has an exterior door. And so then like people were leaving wet towels on my recording equipment, and I was just constantly fighting with my family about it. And I decided after the Room of Our Own episode to commit to a full recording station. It is in our bedroom, which is not ideal because Amy have to stare at my unmade bed and dirty laundry. Not anymore, I don't. <laughs> no, because I got a screen <laughs> to hide my shame. And I used to record on a laptop and I set up a desktop computer with a permanent microphone. So I'm not constantly, both Amy and I did this for ourselves. And I'm not constantly, we used to always start recording with like, oh, let me plug my mic in. Hold on. Someone borrowed my laptop. Now I've got a reset. Well, I'll be right back. I just set up a space that said, I'm serious about my work. No one else is allowed to touch it. This is my space. It's a tiny corner of my bedroom, but it makes me feel good. And I really enjoyed the conversation on that episode. And I really enjoyed the takeaways. And I enjoyed the, the, the life change that it ushered in. 
Uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that. We're just sort of exploring why do I let the kitchen table be where I do my work when, especially during the pandemic, for my three kids and my spouse, there were dedicated areas that were just for them with a door that could close, do not disturb, and I was the only one without it. And let me be clear, there were dedicated areas that you established and helped them set up and made sure. Oh, sure. And if you had not, it would have been, Mom, I can't this because this, like... You did all the work to carve out the space for everyone in your family, and then you skipped the part where you carved space out for yourself. That's right. And you really only discover it now that when I have carved out space for myself, this is mine and don't touch it. But also as my spouse and my kids start to go back out into the world, and I actually am home alone some of the times I work at home, it's a game changer to have space of your own. And it's worth you know, not all of us can have a she shed in the backyard, right? But you can turn a table in the corner of the living room and your table with your stuff and leave it here and don't touch it. And it is, it's very metaphorical. And I think that, you know, we talk a lot about watching your story and mom comes last. And those kind of stories are rarely healthy for your relationship with your spouse, your kids. But it's a lovely way to fight that story in a really tangible way. Like, listen, this is my sewing space and sewing is important to me and we're not going to make it so that you have a tool shed and in a home office and everything you need and my sewing stuff has to all get dragged out when I want to make something. Like, I want a space of my own. And it's Ma's China Shepherdess. Like, I want one thing that is mine that no, because your body's not your own and your house is not your own and your room is not your own. And so to have a space that is your own is very psychologically fulfilling. Go get it in 2022. I did mine and I'm very happy with a space of my own. So you don't already? Yeah. No, I am seriously. I had that one down as one of the two episodes I learned the most from. And the other one was the fresh take we did with Michaeline Duclef. Hmm. So she wrote a book called Hunt, Gather, Parent, and we interviewed her earlier this year. And even though my kids aren't little, a lot of the advice in her book is for parents of smaller kids. And she is the parent of a young child. I think her daughter, Rosie, was only about one and a half when she wrote the book and did much of the research. But the thing that I took away from that, at much too late to put it to work with my own children, by the way, is that kids who are, you know, one, two, three, love to help. They love to help. They want to participate. They want to be with you in the kitchen. They want to wash the dishes. They want to, you know, hold the trowel in the garden, whatever it is. They want to do this stuff. And we either push them away or we hand them like a little plastic fake version. Like here's your plastic dishes to have over there in the corner while, you know, dad's making dinner. But that we should include them in the actual activity. Of course, we have to scale it. Of course, we can't give them a sharp knife, but include them in the actual activities because when we uh, sort of put boundaries on that when they're two and three and not let them help, then when we want them to help and they're seven or eight, we've trained them that like kids don't help, parents do everything, that you have to catch that window and start using it when they're little. And then you are more likely to have a seven or eight year old who knows how to load the dishwasher and doesn't give you a song and dance about it. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because my daughter has a birthday coming up and she was saying, I was asking her what she wants because her birthday is close to the holidays. It's like she's just gotten everything and it's always that problem. Yep. She said, you know, she's nine. She said, I kind of miss that play kitchen I used to have. This is such a thing that kids do, right? Like they suddenly get back into something they remember from when they were like five or six. And um, I did kind of say, I think the kitchen is your play kitchen now. Like maybe we could get some baking dishes and some recipe books, but 
How about you just play in the regular kitchen and make us some food (laughs) (laughs) rather than we buy another plastic or wood pretend kitchen? That seems like a better call. Yeah, this is something I feel like I'm evangelizing about this to people I know with little kids. Like, too late for me. I didn't start this on the right way, getting my kids to help. Yeah, but I got to push back because it's not too late. I think it's just the idea of like roles. I recently had something that I wanted to do as a family that was an outing that was interesting and kind of outdoorsy in the cold, but definitely not the most exciting thing for kids under 12. And I found myself having a conversation with my kids that I think was a result of many conversations that we had this year, where I was saying to them, you know, we have done a lot of things in this season that were things you wanted to do and that were fun for you. And guess what? This is an activity that's fun for me. And my expectation is for you to participate in it. And I really don't want you to ruin it by pouting and acting like it's boring. You can think it's boring. You don't have to have a good time. But I do expect you to show me the respect of showing up at this activity and participating in it. And not making it stink for me. We participate in things together and we have roles in this family group together. And Micheline Duclef talked a lot about that too, of like, you are part of a larger structure and that that's really important. And I find myself pointing that out to my kids. And listen, they're not like, mother, I understand. And now I will go off to this activity with a smile and a song. But I do think they get it because they do come and they do participate. I mean, did that help? Did that talk help on that day some, do you think? Yeah. And then let me tell you, they did a modestly good job. They certainly were getting into the car grumbling, this stinks, I don't want to. And then I gave them a fairly firm talking to. And then they sailed through it. It was a little bit more fun than they were expecting. And then on the way home, I did make a big point of saying to them, hey, I really want to thank you for your behavior. It really was nice for me to get to do that. And I think that's something that I've gained from the podcast of it's more about claiming the room of your own, like claiming my space in the family of like, hey, it's mom's turn now. And like, hey, there's another side to the story of mom waits on you and does everything for you. It's you show up when mom needs help. I kind of hate the step that you just talked about. And it's important to do it. And I hate it, which is the like, thank you for not acting the fool at this thing that really wasn't that horrible and it was for a freaking hour. Who cares, right? (laughs) Yes. I have a hard time with, thank you for taking the garbage out without my having to remind you that I shouldn't have to tell you every week. But the thanks help. Agree. And Micheline Duclef would tell you your tone, like there's a flatness of tone there too, which is like, hey guys, thanks. I appreciate it. That was really fun for me. Thanks for coming along versus like, thank you for not being a jerk, you know, like not adding that layer of like, you know, we're on different teams. Or I shouldn't have to say this, but I'm going to. Yeah. I mean, I don't do that. I just don't say it. So so. (laughs) (laughs) that's another way to do it. Yeah. Maybe I'll move through this. It's a goal. Yep. Another episode, Amy, that I really liked was, and I felt like we got a lot of good response from people on, was when your kid doesn't fit the mold, which we did in May. Oh, yeah. And I have... Three kids, I guess, who don't fit the mold in certain ways. Right. What's a mold? Right. I would say, you know, some really don't fit the mold more than others. And as my kids have reached, you know, preteendom, 
it's become a different issue for me as opposed to I feel like we talked about this on this episode. I was just re-listening to it and it struck me like the idea of like the little kid who's like, he wears Mick Jagger t-shirts. He's totally different. Like that's really different than having a kid who is... 12, 13, 14, and struggling to participate in activities or struggling with friendships because he's different in a way that is not considered cool. Or adorable. Or adorable, right? Like different adorable and different like, oh, he's just really into, you know, something that's actually cool. Yeah. Versus kids who really are struggling with differences and how to really support those kids and also talking about how to support our fellow moms who have kids that maybe don't fit the mold. Yeah. And that it's easy to say like, well, who wants to fit the mold? Breaking the mold is what's really important. But when you're deep in it, those kind of aphorisms are just not that helpful. Yeah. And how to separate out. Like if you have a, if your kid has a peer who's not fitting the mold, right? Who is displaying some behavior that makes it hard for them to fit in with their peers. And maybe it isn't that the whole rest of the third grade is being terrible bullies. Maybe it is that this kid does pick fights or does things to alienate themselves and has pain through that and wouldn't be doing that if they could do better. And then there's the parent who's dealing with the pain of that and who doesn't really deserve to be alienated in the same way because her kid is picking fights in the playground. She is doing her best. You see what I'm saying? It's hard. Absolutely. And another thing that you talked a lot about in that episode, which is so crucial, is making a distinction between what is hard for your kid and what is hard for you. So like a kid who maybe isn't super social, but is really happy drawing in their room Is it you who is layering on top of that? Oh, but the most important thing in the world is having friends and therefore trying to like shove your kid into some mold that you think is the right mold. Yeah. Yeah. So challenging. And that's a conversation that we'll all be having throughout our lives with our kids is like there are things you know best, but there are ways that your kid is and parenting the child you have as opposed to knowing what's best for your child in some abstract way. Amy, it's challenging. It's the work of a lifetime. (laughs) We'll be right back. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. 
And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking It. Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Can I ask you a couple of questions? Yeah. What is a New Year's resolution? Uh, you could say I am going to try to spend my money less in the new year. I am going to try to eat less of this one food because I eat too much of it in the new year. It's like a promise that you make at the beginning of the year that you're going to do for the whole year. And do they work? Uh, most of the time, no. Why not? Because people are very forgetful. Do you think I need to have a New Year's resolution? Yes. What do you think my New Year's resolution should be? To try to not yell at the kids when you're grumpy. Not yell at the kids when I'm grumpy. Yeah. What about yelling at the kids when I'm in a good mood? Don't do that either. <laughs> Just no yelling at the kids at all. Yeah. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Um, no. You're just not making them? Yeah. Nothing you can improve on, nothing you can get better on. I mean, I could get better on some things, but like, no. May I make a suggestion for your New Year's resolution? Okay. What is it? Clean your room a little bit more often. Mom. Just a suggestion. Goodbye. Thank you. Amy, let's talk about some interviews that we had this year that you really liked. Tell me one of your favorite interviews of the year. One of my favorite interviews this year was with Joe Dombrowski, who is a sandwich comedian, goes by Mr. D. Oh, that was such a fun one. Here's why I loved that episode. I mean, it was super, super funny and also incredibly insightful and informative. It was both. And that is for you and me, the sweet spot. We always try to do that with this show. Be funny with the point, funny with the takeaway. That's always what we try to return to in every episode. And I thought it was so... I mean, he was so enjoyable to listen to, but we really got into some insights on these five-year-olds who are returning to the classroom after, you know, spending a large part of their formative years of their childhood, not with their peers and how it really stuck with me, how there's usually that one kid in the class who, when they're tagged it in the playgrounds, like, I don't want to play. I'm not. And now he has 30 of them. And he had kids who knew how to use an iPad, but didn't know how to use scissors and how he had to completely restructure his goals for his kindergarten teaching. And I thought it showed me two things, one of which was, wow, these kids really are being affected. And it doesn't have to be bad. It's just true. And the other thing was that I can't even begin to imagine how hard every single teacher worked in the last 18 months. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that to like get like cheap claps. Like I really mean it. Wow. I had no idea it was that large. He's Mr. D times three across social media. If you don't know him, check him out. Right. Reminds me of another interview with Tiffany Jenkins of Juggling the Jenkins that we did. Yes. Similarly, such a funny person. You almost certainly know Juggling the Jenkins. She's so funny on video. But we ended up having a pretty deep conversation about 
anxiety and worry and how we overcome those things as moms. And Tiffany has a history of addiction and talking about overcoming that. And again, it was a super funny conversation, but it got deep, Amy. Yeah, that's what's amazing about her. She'll go deep fast, right? She's got rockets down. Yeah, she's very accessible, which is, I think, what makes her so likable and appealing to people. She seems like that best friend you want. Yes, love her. Another one I want to make sure people listen to if they haven't yet is we had Dawn Hubner on and I talked about sibling rivalry with her. And what was really the aha moment in that episode was that her book, which sort of makes sibling rivalry something that the kids want to work on. It had never occurred to me that sibling rivalry is something that your kids might actually also want to make a little better and work on and improve. Mm. That it's just like, oh, stop the fighting. You're driving me nuts. It's not just about that for us as parents. It's actually for the kids. How do you improve your relationships with each other? That they actually do want that. And there are ways they can do that. And I just thought she was so clear cut. And uh, I gave her a couple of examples from my own life and found out that, of course, I was doing it like 150% the wrong way. And uh, (laughs) I need some more do-overs. That's what we have guests on the podcast to explain that we're doing things 150% the wrong way. Yeah. I'm okay to get a course correction. It's awesome. Uh, A guest way back in January, we had Myrna Valerio on. She's a runner. Oh, yeah. And she's kind of all over on social media, really talking about the joy that's available to you in pursuing fitness. And it's something that I have struggled with my whole life in terms of like, I don't want to exercise, but I want to look good in a bathing suit. And it's been a long process for me of detangling those two things that the tangible results of exercising and being active are completely separate from weight and what I look like. And I really enjoyed talking to Myrna about that. I mean, I've made a lot of progress. We have an old episode, if you want to listen to it, not from this year called Let's Not Care What We Weigh. And it really is important to me to release myself on a very fundamental level from caring about my weight. But I really enjoyed that conversation with Myrna because, again, she's just an extremely joyful person and she takes a ton of joy in being fit, but her approach to it is very compelling to me. Amy, what was one of the most surprising things that you learned this year? We did an episode called Useless Metrics for Life. Ah, Well, yes, weight being a useless metric. Exactly. Yes. BMI being eight glasses of water being a useless metric. And I really enjoyed working on that because, you know, I dork out about research. And the most surprising thing I learned, I think, all year was that inbox zero means the opposite of what we think it means. Are you an inbox zero person? That means that you have to have zero messages in your inbox. Yeah, it actually means the opposite of that, but that's what we think it means. I'm a back to one inbox zero. When I'm on a flight, I like to get my inbox to zero. Yes. I might get there like once a year, but I thought I was like, right now I have about 200 messages in my inbox, some of which I'm aware of there. Oh, that's nothing. I have, I'm going to look, but I bet I have 1,500. I have 1,104. Okay. All right. Merlin Mann, who invented this term, didn't mean that you should be answering every email in your inbox and not have any emails in your inbox. He meant that your email inbox is the least important place for you to be spending your time and you need to get to the point where you're spending zero time there during the workday. All right. 
because it's not where your most important work is happening. I was so happy to learn that because I'm an extremely organized person, but I have 200 emails in my inbox because that's all I do if I answered emails in my inbox. And so I kind of felt bad about that. In order to be a perfect good person, you have to be inbox zero. No, no, no. The guy who invented it meant just the opposite. Get 1,100 messages. Make 20,000 messages. It's better. If you're doing stuff that's of greater value, which just about anything is, he would argue. I kind of use my inbox as my to-do list a little bit. So you shouldn't be like writing back to everyone and dealing with it. But I do kind of go through and I'm like, all right, Boy Scouts email. I got it. Let me do that. Let me. I kind of run through it as a to-do list. Right. But is the Boy Scouts email the most important thing you should be doing in the next 20 minutes? Probably not, Merlin Mann would argue. I guess I could see that. Yeah. it's That's more like plain work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Makes sense. I would say for me, the most surprising, I don't know if it was thing I learned, the most surprising episode for me was the episode with Amanda Knox. Yeah. One day I got an email saying, hi, I'm Amanda Knox and I am talking about issues of infertility on my podcast and I would love to talk to you. Obviously, I knew that she had been wrongfully convicted in this trial in Italy. Having a conversation with her about the concept of labyrinths and how we navigate difficult situations, I thought was really fascinating and especially talking about her experience having gone through this labyrinth of the murder trial, but then really taking it out a level and talking about her mom's experience of watching her go through that. And it gave me a construct that I find I think about a lot. Like, is this my labyrinth or is it my kid's labyrinth? And am I lost in it or am I just where I'm supposed to be in it? And I found that whole metaphor and that way of thinking. And I think the fact that her story was so extraordinary and difficult and outsized that it made that metaphor really resonant to me that like I'm in a smaller labyrinth, but it's still the same basic experience. We do uh, when we have guests on the show, we always, you know, prepare. We talk about what kind of questions we're going to ask them. We put together an outline. And that was one where what we thought we were going to talk to her about was very much not what we talked about. And it was definitely a lesson. And let's just see where conversation goes. She was so transparent in that interview. And we never thought that we were going to get to talking about how her mom felt when she was in jail and was maybe never going to get out. We couldn't have predicted that. Yes. And that was that ended up being the crux of the interview for us. And I was so moved by that interview. And you know, so glad that we did it. And I definitely learned the lesson from that of not nailing everything down ahead of time so carefully and seeing where conversations go, because we could not have predicted where that went. I agree. And I I think, I mean, I always, I love Humans of New York, the Facebook page. She takes photos of people on the streets of New York and just tells their story. And I saw him interviewed once and people were saying like, how do you find people with such interesting stories? And of course, he was saying everyone has a really interesting story. And I think that it's such a joy to be able to talk to a wide range of people because in the beginning, I think we always imagined the fresh takes would be sort of this person has a book and it's about getting your kids to eat vegetables and we will talk to them and we will learn about getting your kids to eat vegetables. And we certainly have people. Annie Murphy-Paul comes to mind whose book is The Extended Mind talking about how the brain works. And it is fun to dive in with people on their areas of expertise, but the fresh takes have also sometimes taken on a little bit more of getting to know somebody and figuring out their kind of unique experience and how it informs their parenthood in a way that I have found really lovely and kind of unexpected. Claudia Shear is an actress who wrote a one-woman show. It was called Blown Sideways Through Life. It was an amazing show. I've never forgotten it. I got to meet her and tell her how much I loved it. She said at the end of that show, the sort of takeaway was, 
everyone has a story that will stop your heart. Mm. And I think you're right. It is such a privilege for me. And I have changed and grown as a person from every episode of this podcast and every interview, just really getting to see the world from other people's points of view. And on that subject, one of the greatest things that has happened this year through the podcast is our Facebook group, which is yeah. at facebook.com forward slash what fresh Hellcast. And it is about 5,000 women at this point who are supporting each other, sharing stories. There's something just very, very magical about that group of people. We were wary to some degree of starting a Facebook group because the internet, as we know, is generally a hellscape where people just like to yell at each other and say horrible things. And there really has just been such a lovely vibe in our Facebook group of people who are coming for help, offering help, being hilarious, offering support, offering funny anecdotes, giving us amazing ideas for the podcast. I bet 30% of the podcast episodes that we have done this year were because people said, hey, I'm interested in talking about this on the Facebook group. You're right. So that's really a highlight of my year, looking back and seeing the community that has grown up there and how people are communicating and keep it up. Nobody come in there and be jerky because it's going really well. Yeah. You had to go and say something, right? I know. Just like, come on, everybody be nice. And even when every once in a while, like there's a little bit of a rogue thing that goes on. And I feel like even then people are like, okay, we respect you, but that's not quite how we do it here. Listen, it could tip into absolute chaos at any time because it is the internet, but so far so good. And a huge salute to you guys for creating that amazing space. And Amy, thanks for another great year of the What Fresh Hell podcast. Yeah, I can't believe it. Another year comes to a close. This was the best one yet, though. And I'm not just saying that. It really was. 2022. I think we can beat it, Amy. It's going to be even better. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to help us find new listeners in 2022, just tell people you know about the podcast, help us spread the word and leave a rating or review because that is the best way for new people to discover the show. You know, it would be so easy to do. Take the Spotify playlist that is in the show notes of this episode. And that makes it super easy to share on Instagram. Send a text message to your friend. Spread the word. Spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, friends. I hope you have a great start to 2022. And we'll talk to you next time. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. 
An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.